Oh my goodness, this Saturday is something special. If you're a Virginia Cavalier basketball fan who's wondering why it has been two months to the day today, two months plus one day tomorrow, since the Wahoos last hosted a Saturday home game. That includes the majority of those Saturdays being in ACC play. Seven Saturdays in a row on the road in the ACC. No doubt that's a disadvantage situation because Saturday is traditionally the biggest crowd you get and it's the most raucous crowd because, well, you've got people that are uh, preparing before the game and in many arenas nowadays with sales needed of certain uh, beverages to boost the revenue and looking for every edge possible. Those things happen during the game. So, amazing. And even Tony Bennett. I mean, it got to the point where a couple of weeks ago, you know, still with a couple Saturdays on the road to go in the ACC, it became kind of a running joke, if you will. We've had seven, this or whatever, those seven straight Saturday road games. You know, sometimes it's nice that you can get some recruits on the weekend to come in and the crowds and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, we asked uh, Paul Brazo about that, say this seems strange in all the years I've been here. And, uh, you know, he said it's just how it was. The computer spit it out, apparently. So sometimes you can't control what you can't control. So we just we go with it and, um, you know, try to be as ready as we can. I love it. It's just how the computers spit it out was the response from the ACC. So that's the response on Virginia having seven Saturday road games in the ACC in a row. Going through a two-month stretch. Not joking. Last Virginia Cavaliers home game was Saturday, December 16th. As we speak today on Friday, February 16th. You can do a little math here. uh, Maybe more than the ACC. But two months to the day. Of this happening. Look, for the one thing, I get it's almost become cliche or chic, you know, the thing to do to rip on the ACC and the perception of the conference. And I actually think it hurts the ACC in terms of how they're compared to other conferences within the landscape of sports. We saw it with Florida State. Uh, I know they were down to a backup quarterback, but when Ohio State was on their backup quarterback with Cardale Jones, nobody held it against them. Granted, Ohio State had won 59 nothing entering the at the time, College Football Playoff Selection Committee uh, at that time. The first one of those, by the way. But you've got that. You certainly got the perceptions out there that the Big 12, for example, is perceived to be better than the ACC as a conference. And certainly Kansas winning a national championship recently, along with Baylor, I don't think it's totally unjustified. But nobody questions the fact that the Big 12, a lot of those schools played really bad non-conference schedules so they could get good wins that they could just beat the snot out of teams and it boosts their rankings and then everybody looks good entering conference play and then they beat each other so it's all quality wins and never a bad loss. Nobody ever questions that. But there are certain things where with the ACC, you kind of just sit there and you're left scratching your head. Like again, this idea of UVA, what will this Saturday break a streak of Seven Saturdays in the ACC, on the road. Like, almost unfathomable. But here's the other question to this. And and I don't think this is off-base, Trey. And I am not a major pro-UVA, anti-tech, or vice versa guy. But it's reasonable to ask this question, isn't it? That if the computer models spit out a scenario where Duke or North Carolina had to go on the road for seven consecutive Saturdays, especially if they had a national championship winning coach, and granted, you know, Coach K and Roy Williams are retired, but would the ACC have ever allowed that to happen to Duke or North Carolina? Probably not. 
Um, this is probably just happenstance. Uh, I think your your tinfoil hat is getting a little thick right now, if you know what I mean. But uh, I could, I would say you can cry foul a little bit. But to be fair, I would also say um, that there's still, you know. I'd rather have big games at home on like a Monday night than to not, you know, than like. See, I think you're in the minority. From what I gather, most college fans and coaches like would rather they be on the yeah. Saturday. I mean, if you look at the most hyped games, and we've had a number of them. This is outside the ACC. Carolina Duke, uh, both of those games now are on a Saturday. One of those, by the way, uh, of the Carolina Duke those games. Those always have been on a Saturday. Not, not, not always, Trey. In the last five, six years, they've both been Saturday games. But there was a good period, and I'm going to sound like the old man here at 38, and I know you're a little bit younger, but... Back when I was growing up, the first of those two Duke Carolina games was always a weeknight game. It was a Wednesday or a Thursday night game. And then, because it was, wait for it, better business, they moved them both to a Saturday. And look at the marquee games that we've seen on a Saturday in college basketball so far this year. Houston at Kansas, a top 10 showdown a couple of weeks ago. Tomorrow, you've got Marquette and UConn, a top 10 caliber showdown. Others have also appeared on that particular Saturday slate. But we've rattled off at least three of them over the last handful of weeks. So to me, that's really the reality of what these coaches are looking for. And Tony Bennett, yes, uh, I don't think he's made it an excuse, but he's not backed away from the idea of the Virginia Cavaliers being somehow the only team I have ever can ever remember having seven consecutive weekends where they're playing Saturday road games. I'm not sure. I, you know, that's that's beyond me. I'm, you know, maybe that's an analytics thing or a, an AI question. Uh, so not for me. Analytics question. AI. I get there's some a deflection there from the blame, but if anything, I, I will say this: if you're a Virginia fan, and, and I don't think it's off base to criticize the ACC about the absurdity of Saturday games. And if you agree or disagree, let us know. Fast Lane, Ned Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But it does seem like Virginia, they've played their best basketball recently. And there may be something to the idea that going on the road on Saturdays, that's actually been something that's helped this team mature. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the Saturdays away. It's our seventh straight one. I just think it's us growing up and finding ways and settling a little more on a rotation. Um, guys improving their game. Uh, again, tonight was, um, and I'll watch the film, I shouldn't, I, I felt like we've really been coming defensively, and tonight that didn't feel as, as good credit to Florida State, the way they can make some plays and, and attack it. Uh, but, you know, lively crowd. We've played in some pretty aggressive or loud uh, arenas, and Saturday's usually the, the circled game. So being in that setting is important. And, you know, but every game now we're, we're playing to, you know, just be in the hunt and keep qualifying for the good stuff. And uh, I think it it's we have matured, but still got a ways to go. Tony Bennett. And, and look, I mean, to his credit, it, it, you can be like us here in the fast lane, or at least me, and make fun of the ACC scheduling. And Tony Bennett seemed to even do that. But at the end of the day, you've got to find a way to ultimately rally around it so that your team doesn't take on that same tone of defeatist attitude. And Virginia had every reason to do that 
with those losses at Notre Dame, NC State, and then Wake Forest. And of course, there's also the revenge angle and how much that factors into your projections. Uh, we're scheduled today around 540 here in the fast lane to chat with current analyst and former Demon Deacon star Randolph Childress. And we'll get his thoughts on the revenge angle to this matchup and certainly what Virginia can do differently uh, as they game plan for Wake Forest. But they get the benefit of this game being at home on a Saturday, and it's now for Virginia the other side of this, which is three of the next four Saturdays they have home games. I don't know if you need the Georgia Tech one on a Saturday at the end of the season. It's nice. It's a luxury. But North Carolina certainly at home on a Saturday next week is also something that would be beneficial for the Virginia Cavaliers. What's beneficial for you is shopping at InsaneRadioDeals.com because, first of all, you can do it 24-7. But second, there's so many cool experiences. You want food? Lynchburg. We've got Rivermont Pizza gift cards and Yamada Japanese barbecue gift cards at InsaneRadioDeals.com. Looking for something that's cool in the Star City or even beyond? Aquatrek Adventures there in Salem. The Tri-Scuba experiences await you at InsaneRadioDeals.com. And when you go over for that, grab that Yamada, excuse me, not the Yamada, that's in Forest, the Wasina City Tap Room and Grill gift card at InsaneRadioDeals.com. So many cool things, so much to do, all thanks to InsaneRadioDeals.com. Now, time for us to discuss some other topics as we start looking ahead to the weekend in the Fast Five at Five-ish. It's time for the Fast Five at Five-ish. Five fast-paced, quick-witted things you need to know right now. Number five. We aren't going to put any odds on this in our votes of confidence, but you can chime in on what the odds are that Pokey, Trey's dog, will destroy the studio by the end of the fast lane today. He really just knocked down an old board trying to get around, but he has this thing where he tries to rub up against the walls and the boards or chase his ball or anything else. Um, so just hypothetically weigh in, and you can give Trey a hard time at VT on Twitter or Instagram. Um, if it were really that big of a deal, we'd tell Trey to take the dog away, which we don't because we do love dogs here in the fast lane. But it is a convenient point to have a little bit of fun at Hokie's expense. Speaking of the Virginia Tech Hokies, the Lady Hokies last night, it was a grimy, grinded-out victory against Duke, but I'll take the optimistic tone for this, Trey, and that is it was a close game throughout, and if you're not familiar with Duke, they are kind of the Virginia Cavaliers of women's basketball, or maybe a, a depressed version. I don't mean that you know, mental health-wise. I mean that in terms of you know having fewer assets. But South Carolina is also such a defensive-focused program, much like Duke. So you're going to be in these type of games. You've got it at home like Virginia Tech did. It was the revenge spot having lost at Duke earlier this year, and the Lady Hokies avenged that loss. But it also comes with Tech slated to head over to Louisville on Sunday for a game that has big ACC regular season championship implications for Virginia Tech. You wouldn't call it a trap game, but it's kind of in the midst of the grind where you have to keep finding ways to win. They're not all going to be blowout victories, and for Virginia Tech, that was a good thing for them. Number four. Pivoting away from the hardwood and towards the gridiron. The Kansas City Chiefs predictably exercising their options on Chris Jones to trigger about 4 to $5 million in incentives. But most notably, as Ian Rappaport of NFL Network tweeted within the last half hour, but most notably, it exercises the right now for the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe, to include the franchise tag 
on Chris Jones. That's big because they also have cornerback Legereus Sneed as a free agent. And selfishly, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I hope the Chiefs can't come to terms on a long-term extension with either one of them, which means they would probably tag Chris Jones and give him the big payday and allow a cornerback to hit the market. And granted, Philadelphia is not in great cap shape, but they've got a GM who knows how to navigate that. Uh, but there will be a lot of bidders at a lot of those different positions, including maybe in our nation's capital as well. But that is one of the storylines to monitor is what happens with that. And it leads us into number three. Are there anything, are there fewer things out there that are a bigger waste of your time? And look, I, I am all for great content, but the definition of what is known as hashtag clickbait are these NFL free agency lists that pop up before the deadline has passed. It's coming within the next couple of days and it goes through early March. But the deadline is passed for NFL teams to put the franchise tag on a particular player, which means that that player signed somewhere else. They've got to, you've got to recompensate the team with two first round draft picks, um, which very rarely ever ends up happening. That is the definition of clickbait. Give me the list of best available free agents once that timeline is passed, because then we actually know who is eligible to be an NFL free agent. Number two. The Hall of Fame class. We didn't get a chance to jump into this last week, but Julius Peppers, North Carolina, Andre Johnson and Devin Hester, Miami, and Dwight Freeney of Syracuse are all on that list, along with Patrick Willis, Steve McMichael, and Randy Gradshire. I'm still confused as to how Antonio Gates did not make it as a first ballot Hall of Famer, given how prolific he was. Uh, And I understand the lack of value in that position, but... There are a couple of positives, and, and again, maybe we're being overly optimistic in the fast lane, but I'll criticize that Antonio Gates was somehow not on that list. Dwight Freeney was what Corey Moore could have been if Moore came along a few years later. And, and much like Adrian Peterson is what could have happened to Anthony Poindexter if Poindexter's injury happened a couple of years later. Allow us to explain for a moment here in the fast lane. Corey Moore was a fast but undersized by NFL standards, defensive end. About 5'11", 250-ish pounds, if you get him at his best weight. Nobody had ever seen that work. And the NFL wasn't at a time where they were willing to be more adaptable and find ways to utilize that until Dwight Freeney and, to a lesser extent, Robert Mathis found a way to capitalize on that skill set with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, it helps to have Peyton Manning throwing the ball, getting you leads, and you can tell undersized rushers just tee off on larger defensive, on a larger offensive lineman and get after the quarterback. Also, they played on turf. It did become an issue when they had to go on the road to a place like New England, but Dwight Freeney, kind of ahead of the time for a guy like Corey Moore, and and the Anthony Poindexter, uh, Adrian Peterson analogy, of course, is because of Poindexter suffering the knee injury before everyone knew uh, the modern medicine treatments and rehabilitation practices that could be out there that could allow you to overcome that. And granted, someone like Adrian Peterson is a bit of a freak of nature, but now guys tear their ACLs regularly, and Peterson kind of set the benchmark that you can tear it, get surgery, and rehab correctly and be fine over the long course of your career. Um, Julius Peppers at North Carolina, he single-handedly willed them to their first ever victory over Florida State in the late in the early 2000s. And it was after the Mac Brown era had ended when Carolina was going through that Carl Torbush John Bunting era of horrible head coaches in Chapel Hill. 
Pepper single-handedly got Carolina to the Peach Bowl that year, and that skill set translated to the NFL. Uh, Michael Vick. It's fascinating, again, to look at Michael Vick, but Michael Vick was an example of a guy that was a superhuman athlete. And and I'll never forget, this was mid-December of 2004. And I can't remember what day it was or what week, but it was one of the last weeks of the regular season. And Michael Vick gets chased down from behind by Julius Peppers. That's how much of a freak of nature Peppers was in the NFL, but he backed it up with production. Um, Love the Devin Hester idea. Maybe it'll allow a guy like Brian Mitchell, who was a great Hall of Fame caliber returner for a bit of time in Philadelphia, but more notably in Washington, where he now has a radio show. But it may allow that to happen, and I, I think it's great to embrace special teams and show that there is a real role in the game, and there's a strategy element that comes in with that. And then Andre Johnson, always solid, never spectacular, but like Devin Hester, part of those loaded Miami Hurricanes teams. And number one on the Fast Five at five-ish. A couple of nuggets from the Atlantic Coast Conference. One, they have approved 2024, or in 2024, that its football teams will have access to in-game video, enhancing the ability to make in-game adjustments. Uh, That's actually more than the NFL, where you can use still footage but not video footage to point out what's actually happening to players. Um, I actually credit the ACC in this regard, much like we bagged on them for the Virginia scheduling fiasco. Uh, I think it's a great idea of being able to allow that type of video game commentary. Uh, The ACC will provide access to coach-player communication devices, which would allow for one-way communication between the sidelines and the players on the field. That is a bigger topic that's worth exploring. Um, I'm curious whether there will be like the NFL with 15 seconds left on the play clock. The communication is supposed to shut off. Curious whether that will happen in the ACC and they can get the technology right for that. But if you can streamline it so everyone's on the same page, it's a really cool concept and a really cool idea. Um, And then the other one that people have speculated is whether or not that means even players, not just on the sideline, but in the booth or somebody relaying into the booth could communicate. I mean, there's a lot of lag time if you're watching a game on TV to where that type of quick communication, you almost have to be at the venue to pull that off. And by the way, the other ACC nugget worth addressing here in the Fast Five at Five-ish as a bonus. But the ACC announcing that next season's conference men's and women's basketball tournaments will only include 15 of the 18 teams. Uh, Regular season league games will remain at 20 games for the men and 18 for the women. I actually like the larger tournament format. I I I mean, look, some people have said it's time to get rid of it all together, including our friend Brett Friedlander of SaturdayRoad.com. But as much as I like the idea of every team making it, are you really going to be crying a river when Stanford, Cal, and, well, Louisville may get it together, but we'll throw Boston College in there as an example. When they're the three teams that are somehow not making it, you're merely missing even worse teams from where you would be allocating your time to watch bad basketball. And there is your Fast Five at Five-ish. When we come back in the fast lane, time for... As we look at Lent. And the loopholes to it. Oh, it's going to be a fun edition of our Votes of Confidence with Trey undoubtedly making fun of me, which you can do as well. Trey LaVT and Fast Lane Ed Lane on the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or just listen in for the fun next here in the Fast Lane.